All right, guys, we are continuing with our teaching in the book of Revelation. Last time we were here, we talked about the church of Pergamum or the church that is in Pergamos. And Pergamos literally means thoroughly married. And one of the doctrinal issues that was that we were dealing with with the church of Pergamum was the issue concerning the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And that is the separation between the laity, the lay people and the clergy. Now, as we think on that, this, that previous prophetic age that we were talking about, that is Pergamum. As we think about that particular age, remember that was an age that went all the way up to a period of roughly 600 AD, roughly from 300 to 600 AD. Okay. It was that period of the church in which Constantine had made the church the state religion. Christianity became the state religion and people began simply pouring into the Christian church without true profession of faith. They weren't truly saved. They just simply converted for political or expedience or economic reasons. Okay. So they just came into the church and then also this whole issue, remember this stuff by being mad. That's what the issue of being married means. The church being married to the state. All right. And also remember the whole issue about the Nicolaitans. And that's what I was about to deal with. Uh, the separation between the laity, between lay people and the clergy with the sense of giving different rules for the clergy. Now, all of these things had relation with Pergamos, but net, but at the same time, what I want you to see is some of these things began to be concrete. You know, the Lord warned them to turn away from these particular issues, but many did not turn away from these issues, but nevertheless began to build on these issues and even expand and make them worse. And that is build other doctrinal issues that would be even worse than the ones we see here. It prepares us for this next church era, the prophetic time period, all right, which we call Thyatira, Thyatira, okay? And so without getting into any other details, we'll do all, we'll do all of that once we get into the scriptures. Let's just simply move to the next church, the church of Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this. So now we have our introduction. We have the recipient of the letter, which is Thyatira. And Thyatira basically means continual sacrifice. And the name we will find would be quite fitting because it is representative of the Roman Catholic Church during this time period, because we are dealing, the prophetic time period for this church age is from basically 600 AD to 1500 AD. This is basically known as the Dark Ages. It is the period in which the Roman Catholic Church espoused a number of doctrines during this time period, and we'll talk about those particular doctrines, okay? The reason why it is called the Dark Ages, and as well as it is the period right before the time of the Reformation. So, 
Thyatira means continual sacrifice. The idea comes from the Roman Catholic Church doctrine in the Mass. In the Mass, that is, at the time of the Mass, the body, the bread becomes the body of Jesus and the wine becomes the blood. This is what is called transubstantiation. And so therefore, in the Roman Catholic doctrine of the mass, the body of Jesus is continually sacrificed. So therefore, the name of this church, Thyatira, continual sacrifice. It is indicative of the power and the overall authority that the Roman Catholic Church is exerting upon the body of Christianity at this time. All right. So that's Thyatira. That is the name of the church, the meaning and the age of the church. And with respect to the power, the Roman Catholic Church, the presentation of Jesus, he called the son of God. In other words, he is the true God and the doctrines that are concerning God, all efface come from him. He is the true son of God. His position is one of judgment. And we see that in Re Revelations 1 verse 14, as we look at this particular description of Jesus, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze, bronze like brass color that are set ablaze in fire. So the picture of Jesus is from Revelations 1, 14 and 15, and it is a picture of judgment. He comes to the church as the divine one. The son of God deals with the second person of the Trinity. And that is important too, as we will talk about some of those doctrines that are espoused by the Roman Catholic Church to the which Jesus has serious problems with. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why he is called, he's calling himself the son of God for he is the one true God. All right. But anyway, but that is the picture. So notice also too, in the book of revelation, as we deal with these letters, there is commendation. So let's move to the section concerning what Jesus commends the church for. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at the first. So the commendation of Jesus is concerning the works of the church and that he commends them. He says, you have done good works. And not only that, have they done good works, but the works that they have done even now are greater than the works that they have done at the first. And this I do love about our Lord. If even if he has a problem with you, the Lord is just. If you've done well, he'll say you've done well. And if you have not done well, he will say you have not done well. And so here is the commendation. He commends them for their greater and continual works of service. Now, as, as clear in the letters, to the church, let's deal with the issue of his condemnation. But what we'll notice is that the condemnation towards this church is a lengthy condemnation, okay? So let us start at verse number 20. But I have this against you, 
that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Notice she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But, to us, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Now, I did a little combining of two things. I got a little ahead of myself, so I'll just break it down as we move through the text, as I explain it, okay? So now let's talk about his condemnation and what these spiritual types that we see identified mean here. So his problem, he says, verse number 20, that they tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach, all right? Notice Jezebel teaches, so let me just deal with it. She teaches, she leads his bond servants astray to commit acts of immorality, eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, concerning Jezebel, it is unlikely that there was a woman in the church by the name, literal name of Jezebel teaching. Usually when you see uh, women spoken of uh, in the scriptures in this fashion, it speaks of a religious system. It speaks of whether the religious system is good or bad. When there's a portrayal of a woman in this way, it speaks of a religious system. And so this takes us all the way back to first Kings. I believe it's around chapter 16, where we have the introduction of a Phoenician princess by the name of Jezebel, who married King Ahab. Now, what you have to understand is this. Jezebel introduced idolatry to Israel. But before we even go there, here's what you have to understand. In the do you remember in Exodus chapter 32 when Israel committed idolatry against God at the foot of the mountain and Aaron made a golden calf according to the imagery that he, no doubt he learned in Egypt and he made the golden calf and he said, here are your gods, Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, what Aaron was doing was a violation of the commandment of God in the sense that God told him, don't make any graven images of the true God or with any kind of likeness that pertains to the true God. What Aaron was not doing, and this is what you got to understand, he was not creating a new and altogether new idol gods. He was creating an image to the true God. And that was, that was the part that was a violation. He was not creating idolatry altogether new of a brand new God. 
He was creating an image to the God, the true God that brought them out. And this was a violation of the commandment of God. Okay. So that's what was wrong. All right. So it's with that historical uh, viewpoint in mind that you now have to move. So let me take it to the next part. So what happened? So after Aaron did this many years later, after Solomon, you know, God was displeased with Solomon that Solomon's heart did not fully follow after God and Solomon himself introduced idolatry. God had taken away 10 tribes away from the sons of David. All right. And that's why the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, only basically ruled over Judah and Benjamin and basically understood as Judah, the tribe of Judah. And that's how Israel, the nation became separate. Israel was the North, Judah was the South, and they were two kingdoms. But the point is, so God had told Jeroboam, this is whom some call Jeroboam the first. So God had revealed to Jeroboam the first that he would give those 10 tribes to him. And Jeroboam, now he was afraid that when worship time came, remember God said for the men of Israel, all Jewish men to go to worship in Jerusalem three times a year. Jeroboam was afraid that he would lose his influence and thereby lose the kingdom, those 10 kingdoms that God had given him. Once the people had gone back down into Judah to worship once again, they would soon want to turn back and reunite under the kingdom of David. And so what Jeroboam did was he set up an alternative system of worship. And he based that alternative system of worship on what Aaron did. And so what Jeroboam did was set up two golden calves. He set up a golden calf in Dan, that is to the north, and also in Bethel, which was to the south in Israel. That's, that was uh, uh, the expanse of Jeroboam's kingdom or what we call Israel or Samaria or Northern Israel. Okay. So these were the idolatrous centers that he set up, but it was based upon, it was based upon what Aaron did, which was, it, it, it was a corruption of the true worship. It was not total and complete idolatry. It was a corruption. Okay. Now with that in mind, what happened was, of course, many years later, introduced, we are introduced to King Ahab and he marries now this particular woman, first Kings chapter 16, I believe named Jezebel. She was a Phoenician, Phoenician princess. What she did was introduced full throated idolatry. She introduced the worship of Baal. And this, of course, we know involved the worship of Baal. They worship Baal with sexual immorality. But the point that I'm making is by this introduction of this completely different, distinct religious system, she introduced full course idolatry 
into Israel and therefore it was no longer a corruption of the true religious system. It was a new one altogether, a false one altogether, an idolatrous one altogether rejected by God himself. Okay, so that's basically what it's talking about. So now let's go back to this whole issue in Thyatira. So when God is speaking of this woman, Jezebel, he is speaking of the introduction of spiritual idolatry that, remember, when we had this whole issue about the Nicolaitans, remember that? That, that and I told you the last time, it began to lay the seeds of corruption in the church. Now, as we get into Thyatira, or even so you can understand it properly, into this next period of the church, 600 to 1500 AD, or as we understand it, the Roman Catholic Church exertion of authority, its attempt over all of Christianity. Why? Because what happened? Remember, let's go back to the previous church, Pergamos, married under Constantine. He had made Christianity the state religion. And what had happened? The Roman church had come in now and claimed to be the state church or the religion of all of Christianity. All right. And so the Roman church, Roman Catholic church introduced a number of vile and corrupt teachings that turn what used to be an, a semblance of Christianity no longer the true doctrine that God had given from the beginning. In other words, like Jezebel corrupted uh, and brought forth full-throated idolatry, introduced that to Israel, so did the Roman Catholic Church introduce this full-throated idolatry into Christianity under the veil operating as if it were true Christianity, as if it were the church indeed, when, actual, when actuality it was not. It was a prostitution of Christianity. And that's what's going on here. And so that, that act of immorality in verse number 20, that's where we still are. And the point of eating things sacrificed to idol. That's just basically speaking of spiritual adultery. So as it was in the time of what? Ahaz and Jezebel, and she introduced spiritual adultery into Israel and so the Roman Catholic Church introduced this same spiritual adultery into the Christian church. Okay, and so I tell you what I'm going to do now. There are 10 things that I want to talk about during this particular period from 600 AD to 1500 introduced by the Roman Catholic Church. What were some of those things introduced by the Roman Catholic Church that perverted the true doctrine of the Christian Church? What was the Jezebel element of the Roman Catholic Church? Okay, so here are 10 of them. Number one, justification by works. The Roman Catholic Church began to teach that a person is not simply justified 100% completely by faith in Jesus Christ, but also that what you did played a role in your salvation, not your faith in Jesus Christ, but your works as well justified you. 
Number two, baptismal regeneration. In other words, instead of simply a person is a believer simply by faith in Jesus Christ, but a person is brought into, and when I say a person, you have to exercise personal faith in Jesus Christ. You must believe who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. You have to believe upon the person of Jesus Christ. This is what it means by personal faith, personal exercise of faith. Okay. And then when you do that, if you believe you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. So if you believe in that, you're saved. But a second teaching, false teaching of the Baptist, I'm sorry, of the Roman Catholic Church was baptismal generation. That is, personal faith was not so much as required, but simple baptism. If you were baptized, then you were saved. That is, even in the absence of true personal faith, baptism saves. A third false teaching was the worship of images. Even, you know, the crosses, the, the statues and things of that nature, even to the point where people will sometimes bow down to these images or kiss these images or worship relics. Fourth things, the celibacy of the priesthood. And that simply means that the priests could no longer marry. They were uh, commanded to remain uh, unmarried all of their lives. And this again gives us an idea of the Nicolaitans. Remember I said Nicolaitans was, was about the distinction between the common people and the priest. This is another way we can see that distinction saying that priests could not marry when the Bible doesn't get teach that at all, whether you're a pre preacher or any, first of all, there's no distinction between the priest and the people. We are all of the priesthood of Jesus, our Messiah. And second of all, the clergy can marry just like everybody else, except this was another false teachings among the Catholic. Number five, confessional. That is simply confessing your sins to the priest, and then the priest would grant you absolution. He would grant you forgiveness of your sins. That's not scriptural either, what you have to confess your sins to a priest. We confess our sins to God. Uh, six, purgatory. In other words, purgatory basically was a place between heaven and hell. A place between heaven and hell that deals with sins that were not dealt with during the person's lifetime. This has to do with the issue of sanctification. In other words, we understand that Jesus is our sanctification, that he has died, he has paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So therefore, at the death of the believer, the believer has no sins to answer for. In the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, one of those false doctrines was that purgatory was the place where such sins that were not dealt with, because they believe that all sins were not dealt with, that they would be dealt with, these believers' sins would be dealt with in purgatory, this place of cleansing in between heaven and hell, okay? And clearly it was not a place of joy, it was a place of somewhat of suffering, because it deals with purging. All right. Transubstance, transubstantiation. I'm sorry. Transubstantiation. That's number seven. Transubstantiation. And this is where we get the idea of Thyatira, continual sacrifice. Remember, that's what the name means. Transubstantiation was Roman Catholic 
false teaching again, that at the mass, we sometimes we use the term communion, the wafer that, it, that was representative of the body of Jesus actually became the body of Jesus and the wine that was supposed to be representative of the blood of Jesus actually became the blood of Jesus. Therefore, in the Catholic mass, the body of Jesus, or should we say the crucifixion of Jesus happens over and over and over again. It is continuous. And that's what we mean by continuous sacrifice. But the scriptures teach that the body of Jesus was sacrificed one time and one time for all. What does Hebrews 9 and 27 say? As it pertains unto a man once to die and then after death, the judgment. And so our Lord in like manner died only once, never to sacrifice himself again for that matter. Okay. But that's another false teaching. Then number eight, indulgences. Indulgences simply is the idea of paying for money. When a Christian pays money so that he or she does not have to go into purgatory to lessen their time in purgatory. And this was what Martin Luther had a real big problem about paying for indulgences. And then we have number nine, penance. And penance was some kind of way of, of torturing or flogging or causing some sort of a hurt to the body in some sense of diminishing sin, the idea for sin, it, uh, it may be even purgatory itself. But the point is uh, punishing the body in some way of trying to have some sort of a mastery over sin or purgatory or things of that nature, some sort of punishment. But this is what penance was all about, the punishment of the flesh, okay? And then finally, Mariolatry, Mariolatry. And this was the false doctrine of the Catholic Church in the lifting up of Mary to be more than what the scripture says she is. Mary is just a human being. She is the mother of Jesus. Now the Catholic church, they call her the mother of God. Now I don't have time to get into the nuance of that, but that is, that is a title of Mary that should not be given. Mary is not the mother of God because what they're trying to do is elevate Mary to a divine being, deify Mary. That's why they say the mother of God. The Bible never calls her the mother of God. She is the mother of Jesus. She is the mother of his human nature. And the Catholic church also talks about the sinlessness of Mary. They also teach that doctrine that Mary was born without sin. That's not true too. The Bible teaches Mary is a human being and that all have sinned. Mary is included in that number and that we all have a sin nature and Mary also has a sin nature. The Catholic church also teaches uh, concerning Mary is that Mary can be prayed to and the Bible teaches we only pray to God. But the reason why they pray to Mary is because of the deification, making Mary therefore a fourth member of the Trinity a fourth member. In other words, making her a member of the Godhead. So we have 10 things, 10 false horrific doctrines of the Catholic church that speaks of the Jezebel element in the Catholic church that brought about 
a complete new picture. That's why it's idolatry. A complete new picture of what Christianity has never looked like. Those things again, what? Justification by works, baptismal regeneration, the worship of images, the celibacy of the priesthood, confessionals, purgatory, transubstantiation, indulgences, penance, and mariolatry. These 10 things came during the period of 600 to 1500 AD, we call the dark ages of the church, okay? All right, and with all of that, so now we understand why it is referred to as Jezebel. And so Jesus, let's go back to here, his denunciation of these practices. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. So he just simply, just simply says, he commands the church, turn away from these false doctrines. But notice, there is a refusal to do so. She refused, so that's why we see such a long period of time. The refusal to turn from these false doctrines. Continuing. I, behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery will enter great tribulation unless she repent of her deed and I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to their deeds. So the warning of Jesus, turn away and if you don't turn away from these particular sins to the church of Thyatira or to those who practice to the element in the church of Thyatira who were practicing these things or in other words, to the Roman Catholic Church to the Roman Catholic Church. That is the element. That is the, that is the Jezebel element in the church of Thyatira or in this church age, okay? And what does he, he threaten to do? That he will throw them into the great tribulation. And this is simply a reference to the great tribulation. Or in other words, the Roman Catholic Church will not participate in the rapture. It will be left after the rapture to be involved in the great tribulation. And this is the warning of Jesus that I will leave, I will exclude you from the catching up, from the rapture of the church from the earth and leave you here. And we'll even talk about that further when we get into Revelation chapter 17 and we look at the picture of the woman, the harlot, who is riding on the back of the beast. This will be the picture of the Roman Catholic Church in the period of the Great Tribulation. Why? Because the Roman Catholic Church will be left they won't be caught up in the rapture and they will be a part of the period of the great tribulation. All right. So that's the warning of Jesus that they will be left and that he will put, and that's why he talks about the pestilence and the punishment that will come upon the church. Because once we get into the great tribulation, that's all we're going to see. Pestilence after pestilence, punishment after punishment, judgment after judgment. So he warns the Catholic Church or those who practices such things, don't do that. Turn away from these things or you will be left in the great tribulation and subject to all of this. Okay, 
So now let's look at the encouragement, the exhortation of our Lord. And that's in verse number 24 and 25. I know I read it earlier, but this is actually a part of the exhortation, encouragement. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no, no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. So Jesus just simply, he just simply says, I place nothing else. Why? Because no further burdens. He has nothing. He says, just simply hold on. Now, why does he say that? Because during this period, the, the, the dark ages, 600, 1500, the time when the Roman Catholic church is exerting so much authority and influence over Christianity as a whole, it is difficult. It is difficult to try to avoid all of this corruption of the Roman Catholic Church during this particular time. And so Jesus, with so, with so much empathy to his people, he says, and I won't lay anything else other on you. I know it's difficult at this time. Okay. And he also calls uh, the teachings, these false teachings of the Roman and Catholic Church, the deep things of Satan. All right. So now let's continue to the promise of Jesus. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the promise of Jesus is to those who will listen and obey him, not get entangled with the false teachings of the spiritual Jezebel, Roman Catholic Church. Remember all those 10 things that I talked about taught in the Roman Catholic Church. Jesus says, I will give him authority over the nations. And this basically gives us the idea. What the Roman Catholic Catholic Church tried to exert over the nations, the false authority of the Roman Catholic Church over Christianity and try and try to exert this authority over all the nations. Jesus says to those who don't get involved in that, I will give him the true authority because from Jesus himself comes that authority and those who stay away from these false teachings, Jesus will give them the authority that the Roman Catholic Church once sought for themselves. And that's what I'm trying to say, okay? They're gonna get the true authority that the Roman Catholic Church wanted to have, falsely executed among the peoples of the nation. And then Jesus says in verse 28 that he would give him the morning star. The morning star, as we'll see in what is it, Revelation 22 and 16, is Jesus himself. So Jesus says, and he will give you himself. In other words, those who avoid the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church will be truly the inheritance of Jesus himself. And he urges at the end, this message is for all churches in every generation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. All right, guys, catch you next time.
Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.